origins of the universe, the creation of a new species, it's time to meet our maker in Prometheus. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. Eric, that was probably one of my favorite intros you've done in a while. That was really good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, right, they're, they're usually pretty fire, but but that one was uh, fire hot flame. Fire hot flame. I don't know. I don't know what the kids say today. I uh, think that's like about eight years too old. Yeah, Eric, what do the kids years, say? Yeah. You know, you're you're in the loop. Let's hear it. Uh, bet. I don't. That's know. it. They still say bet. <laughs> bet. Okay. All right. <laughs> Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast, the bargain basement of the Monster Podcasting Airwaves, where two friends try to stay alive and stay connected by chatting about weekly monster movies. This week, as we try to stay alive, we're discussing Prometheus. Mm. With me today is the iBug himself, Alex. Mm, joined by the giant albino, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, Alex. This movie, Prometheus, I wanted to provide a little context before going in. Oh, um, okay. So so just thinking about this series as a whole, I had seen Alien before, and I had seen Prometheus before, and that's it. I texted um, you. I texted you before we got on. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah. Have you seen Covenant or not, our next movie? Nope. You have a review nope. for it on Letterboxd, just so you know. What? Yes. So no, that's not me. No, it is you. I checked. <laughs> no, it's yeah. not me. Yeah, you, you, I've never seen Covenant. Well, you put three stars for it on uh, on Letterbox, my friend. Well, maybe I was looking at a different movie because I have never seen it. Maybe you were thinking of Covenant, the movie starring Sebastian Stan. And wow, are you I looking at Letterbox? You just saw it. Yeah. Didn't you? Holy cow, I do have three stars for this movie. Yeah, and you logged I, it right around the time that it came out. It was really? Like, yeah. Did I see this movie? Oh my gosh. You know what? I might have seen the movie, Alex. Well, your I review is wrong. wrong. So, uh, you probably didn't see it. So, you know, you'll get to watch it again sometime. That is so interesting. Yeah, I'll have to see because I do not remember it. <laughs> if I <laughs> if I saw that movie, I don't remember it at all. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> okay, we'll okay. see. Um, but no, the only movies that I think I've seen <laughs> are Alien and Prometheus. And Prometheus, I've seen twice before this viewing. So this is actually my third viewing of Prometheus, which is wild. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Three viewings of a film for me. That, that must tell you something a little about the film, right? It might. It I might. Don't wa- I don't watch it, movies more that, than once. That's quite. It is quite I, a feat. I mean, yeah. I I went and saw this in theaters probably four times. Whoa! Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was also during a time where, like, I would come home from. Uh, <laughs> trying to remember when I graduated college, but I would come home from like Lexington or I think I was out of college at this point, but um, 
I would come home from Lexington and I would go and watch a movie with my dad. So like every mm-hmm. movie I watched, I would see twice in theaters because I'd go oh, take yeah. my dad if it was a good one. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I know I saw this one at least three, if not four times mm-hmm. uh, in theaters. Awesome. And then I bought it on, on Blu-ray twice. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I got it when it first came out. Um, mm-hmm. And then they also released this giant, uh, huge this this huge like four disc version that I mm. bought um, wow. to replace it, and it's like, mm. oh, yeah, dude. Uh, I was uh, what's I was, the four disc version all about? It well, so it it's a little bit of a uh, false advertising because it's got like, um, oh, the digital copy and this, mm. so it's like one disc is actually a Blu-ray and one mm. disc is like all special features. Ah, uh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Nice. Got you. Yeah. Well, let's get into the review then, shall we? Let's do it. After handing the reins over to five different, different directors for five different films, Ridley Scott makes his grand return with 2012's Prometheus. In many ways, Prometheus seems to get back to the existential roots of the first film, but in other ways, it may add layers of lore that some find unnecessary or worse, detrimental. I'm wondering, Alex, does this film add to your appreciation of the first film, or would you prefer to call this film a deviation? Mm. So that's a that's a really <sighs> interesting question because my answer kind of makes me come off a bit of a, a bit of a hypocrite almost uh, when you compare it to what I had to say about alien mm-hmm. uh, the, the first one um, you know I, I really praised it for not beating us over the head with the lore yeah. uh, not really diving into the jockey and just leaving these things be this mystery mm-hmm. that just really builds the world um, and I still stand by that. Now, that being said, you know, we got the space jockey and all this stuff from back then. And, you know, it's just great. But somehow this film manages the impossible. Ridley Scott and Damon Lindelof somehow managed to make diving into the history of the xenomorph not just interesting, but makes it feel almost necessary in a way, which is remarkable because in actuality, this is somehow a perfectly standalone film with only tenuous ties to the rest of the franchise. Like it's a real testament to the care that was poured into this one. Yeah. So I I'm, I'm with you with that standalone part, right? Because honestly, when I watched this film, I didn't, I didn't have to think about alien at all to appreciate this one. So I'm going to go ahead and go all in, Alex. I'm pushing all my chips onto the table right now. This is the second best Alien film after Alien. I said it. (laughs) To answer my intro question, this movie adds to my appreciation of that film in that it does a deep dive into the film uh, or into the, the themes of that movie and tonally it best matches that original film. The first half of this movie is all about that exploration and wonder. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about that horror. There's that similar vibe in Alien, which doesn't explore that the lore at all, um, but it certainly isn't fast-paced, and it's certainly built on the foundations 
of some amazing sets. Now, there's less practical effects here, of course, but the CGI and the technical aspects of this film are still very impressive. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that lightly about CGI. But once the horror hits, it really is balls to the wall for the second half of the film. Um, and the moment I knew that was in the moment that I remember that is like, oh man, it's relentless from here on out. Uh, actually happens after the first gruesome moment of mm-hmm. horror. Um, it, when, when Charlie, who's played by Logan Marshall Green, he, he's waking up and he's looking into the mirror and he discovers that species in his eye. It's just a subtle body horror that I find more horrifying than anything too explicit. Uh, is this when the horror kicked in for you as well, Alex? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, you know, you mentioned that that's the moment that really kicks off for you, but I got to tell you, man, it, it's partly tied to the trailers beforehand because I got to like Prometheus has probably one of the best trailers of all time, in my opinion. <laughs> Like it's so perfectly toned, the music. Uh, there's even that moment that happens uh, in the first horror moment we get, where uh, our character um, Mill, oh, what's his name, um, Millburn, he's screaming mm-hmm. like "Cut it off, cut it off!" Yeah, as it breaks his arm and goes into oh, a suit. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then the and then uh, uh, I forgot the other guy's name, Fifa Fifa Fifield. And Fifield's helmet's melting in on his face. Like, it's oh, yeah. so brutal. But I, 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 love, <laughs> I love those moments. But I think you are probably on the money. It's when that moment with Charlie, when he's set ablaze by, um, mm. uh, by Vickers. Like, mm-hmm. that's when things just go off the rails very quickly. But... You know, I did want to mention something that I, I took special note of, and you mentioned it already. So I want to talk about that again before I get back to the horror. But the hope in this film, the music is oftentimes like from the opening moment to, throughout the film at times, even times where it feels like it's not even appropriate. There's this music that's almost Jurassic Park in tone, mm-hmm. it's got like the sense of wonder. Even when something horrifying feels like it's about to happen, or they're watching these things uh, die in a hologram, mm-hmm. uh, there's just this music that's like a little cheery because of like the journey and, and discovery of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually a really stellar choice, and it really illustrates Shaw's character that you know, even despite when things are going horribly wrong, she has like some hope and mm-hmm. faith and. There's still wonder there, even when she sees the engineer for the first time and she has this giant wound on her stomach. Like, yeah, there is that bit of her like amazement mm-hmm. of what's happening around her. Like, she's still part of her is still appreciating it, even if she's completely horrified. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, what I love about this movie is that it does something that AVPR missed. You know, we got the violence there, but. What I love about this movie is that the wonder is punctuated by some of the most visceral horror that we've gotten out of any alien movie. Like what's really fun about this is that, you know, like like you'll, you'll get this moment of wonder punctuated by uh, this weird zombie thing that's come back to life. Fifth fields back and he just smashes Mm -hmm. people to pieces. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's so brutal. And but what I really like is like the film creates such an interesting mystery. You know, this these are proto xenomorphs. Uh, this is like early lineage of them, and right. it's so different, but somewhat familiar. But that we have zero clue of what's going to happen when any of these creatures or substances interact with our humans. Because we know what they do normally, but none of that shakes out in the way we expect. You know, Milburn has the snake, I guess I'll call for the lack of a better word, um, that goes into his mouth. And we kind of expect maybe a chestburster to come from that. Mm -hmm. But nothing does. Uh, and then fifth field, he gets the acid to the face, but he turns into like this crazy monstrous zombie. It's mm-hmm. just like, it has like Hulk strength uh, all of a sudden. And it's just, it, it's just unpredictable. Like Charlie, like what would have happened to Charlie had he lived longer? Would he have mm. turned into fifth field or would he have turned mm. into something different? Worse. Yeah. Or yeah, even worse. It's really hard to know what would have happened to him because everything is so different. Everything is reacting for the first time on humanity. And it's just, <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen with it because you expect the, you expect the xenomorph and then it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Even now we do get that moment at the end of the film with the, they call it the Deacon, I believe it's like this mm-hmm. proto xenomorph, but that's just kind of a little fun nod more than anything. Yeah. Right. Uh, but what I really like, I mean, I, I mentioned the fifth field thing. I love that because he's he sh- it's complete body horror in yeah. a way that the <laughs> Alien franchise hasn't done, right? Like his legs are bent over his shoulders. Yeah. And then he stands up and he just crushes all these people <laughs> in mm-hmm. horrifying, just completely horrifying way. Like he's just punching through their helmets and killing everybody like but one hit. But the really the best moment of horror in this movie is a mm. C-section. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such an amazing scene. The, the whole thing is so tense and terrifying. Like this is the best body horror we've seen in the franchise since the original chestburster scene. Yeah. And again, it, it, this is violence here and it's spectacular, but it's only that way because of the duress that it's put on our characters. And you can see the sheer terror on the, uh, on all of them, just not knowing what is happening. Absolutely, yeah. So apparently, a lot of Alien fans actively despise this one, Alex, <sighs> yeah, which, I which I find a bit baffling. But we'll hear from one of those fans on MVM Plus. So if we misrepresent you all here, you have Kevin to back you up <laughs> over on MVM Plus. Uh, my complaints, however are few and far between and mainly deal with plot revelations that were too heavy handed. Mm. Um, so the first one is the revelation that uh, Numi Rapace um, can't have children. Her character mm. uh, can't have children. It's an interesting idea and it might have implications thematically, but the way she just comes out and says it, feels weird and forced Hmm. a better way would have been for her to incorporate that into her introduction to the crew as part of her motivation for going on this mission. The second revelation is that Wayland is alive. That's just too obvious, right? Hmm. Um, You're not going to 
uh, cast Guy Pierce in this movie for him not to be alive except for in some holographic scene. It's just too obvious. His motivation for eternal life is also obvious. I just would have told us that from the beginning instead of as a twist towards the end. Because if you tell us from the beginning, it sets up an interesting contrast between the motivations of the employer and the employees. And it sets up a bit of internal conflict there. The last revelation is that Theron's character Vickers is his daughter. Again, just kind of obvious and a poorly written moment when she calls out father right it's just a little that's a little (laughs) on the nose and uh honestly not the best written or acted moment of the film right yet despite these complaints i still love this movie the plot isn't anything we're going to rave about (laughs) i mean the plot is basically a group of scientists decide to venture to the ends of the universe in order to find alien life but what they discover isn't what they expect pretty basic But Mm. this movie really isn't about the plot, is it? It's about the characters, the relationships, the ideas and questions implied within those characters and relationships. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all about the characters. And mostly, it's mostly about just a few of them. You know, they they all get their own characterizations pretty quickly. Like, again, we keep mentioning in these other movies that highlight their characters pretty quickly. Again, this is another one in a long line that does it well. And they all play off each other pretty well as things start to spiral. I mean, they're a pretty relatively dysfunctional. They're not quite a family because they don't haven't been with each other for a while. They're not quite mm-hmm. like the crew of the Nostromo, um, where it feels like they've been working together for a long time. Uh, they're all getting to know each other. They're all butting heads. And there's some real big egos here, you know, we get our hot-headed geologist fifth field in particular. You know, he's the reason a lot of this stuff kind of goes south as early as it does. Um, but then you you get these characters that are feel like people you probably know. But then you throw in this unknown quantity. You know, the kid playing with his toys, David. You know, he's cool, calm, and collected. At least he seems that way. But very clearly. What I love about him is in his dialogue with Charlie, right before he Mm -hmm. doses him with the black substance, he kind of, he he makes his position pretty clear that he thinks he's superior to humans. Because there's a line there where uh, Charlie goads him, because Charlie is pretty mean to him, um, which is why he's chosen as the first experiment. And... Charlie's being mean to him, and he says something about, you know, wish you were a human, and he says, oh, I hope not too human, or something like that. Like, he doesn't want to be too similar to humans, mm-hmm. indicating that he thinks he's superior to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's, what's really interesting about David, though, is it's not just one way. He both despises and admires people. Like, he's a pretty big, he's, pretty, he's a pretty huge fan of Shaw, actually despite toying with her when she realizes that she's pregnant and like really leaning into like some really mean puns, <laughs> honestly, mm-hmm. like he's got this sick sense of humor. Um, and it's just, it's interesting because his mouth, ma- his malice is so subtle. Uh, it's pretty amazing actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have to react Eric to what you said though. Uh, Mm-hmm. 
I don't understand why people hate this film. Uh, for me, I actually, there's just nothing I, I really get. You know, I've heard the arguments and I think they're kind of nonsense. You know, a lot of people point to the biologist who touches the hammerhead, I think is what it's called. Or mm-hmm. uh, I think it's called the hammerhead. And I mean, there's a few things here that are in the film that indicate possibilities for him being just, you know, a human. First off, he's completely exhausted. He's fascinated to discover the first new life form, as far as I know, in this universe. But also, there's a key moment early in the film where Vickers indicates that she didn't hire or that she hired these people and that Mm. she didn't hire Shaw and Charlie are two probably most competent people that are probably the most qualified. And it feels like most of the people that Vickers hired are incompetent. Mm. Fifth field, Milburn, (laughs) you know, (laughs) these are people that aren't very good at their jobs. It feels like, I think there's something there speaking to Vickers' character and maybe even her ability to run this corporation that's her dad's. Mm. Uh, So there's some interesting things here that people don't ever really point out. Uh, And people always complain about the Vickers and Shaw scene where they're running from the ship as it rolls. And they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, we'll just step to the side. But they're running from this giant skyscraper. And they don't know what it's going to do, if it's going to keep rolling or not, because it does stop rolling in that scene. So it's like, and when people are panicking, they don't react in quite logical ways, right? (laughs) So I I, I think like this this isn't the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you're doing something dumb thing. Yeah. This is like human nature level of reactions, I think. And so I think that's really interesting. And I I think a lot of the complaints are pretty nitpicky at best. Like, I agree with you, though, Eric, about some Mm -hmm. of those writing choices, like the father, like that scene. (laughs) Like, some of those are hammy, but those are never the things that people complain about. I know. (laughs) Those aren't the things people complain about. They complain about nitpicky stuff. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Alex. I, I think this is just generally true. And this is a broad generalization, of course. <laughs> generally, <laughs> generally, uh, when people start complaining about the plot of a movie, and I would say this is the same for us, right? If like we're really getting into the nitpicky plot of a movie, there's actually something else that's lying a little bit deeper that doesn't sit right with us. Mm-hmm. But the plot is the easiest thing to nitpick in order to try to form an argument against something, right? Mm-hmm. So... Whenever someone argues using the plot of a movie against itself, um, I'm usually think to myself, there's something a little bit deeper that you don't quite know how to point out, like why you don't like something. No, that's not always the case. Again, this is a broad generalization, of course, of course. But is there something to do with maybe your expectations going into the film? Any film. Was there something to do about one of the themes or the tone of the movie that didn't quite sit right with you? Can we just say what it is, Eric? Can we what just say it? What it is? there's no xenomorph? Yeah, that's oh, yeah. people's yeah. problem. That's right. People's pro- no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> that's, and so that's what I was getting to. Yeah, 
I think that is the expectation going into this movie. And, and the issue that maybe some people have with this is there's no xenomorph. Um, yeah. I mean, that would be what I would guess. Again, we might be misrepresenting you, uh, Prometheus haters. Hopefully, Kevin can redeem you. We'll find out <laughs> on IVM+. But look, uh, getting back into this one, I'm a sucker for films that tug on my existential angst. And this film is all about that angst, let's oh, yeah. be honest. Uh, but the meaning and the substance of this film is not found in the answers, but it's in the relationships and what's left unsaid. Just as the characters of this film itself are left unsatisfied by the answer of finding their maker. I love David's character, which exposes that creator-creation relationship for what it is and brings to light potential motivation. What if? What is creation for? Can someone create and then abandon and then seek to destroy? Can God? Ultimately, we don't know why the engineers here decided to flip against humanity, um, who they made in their own image. But we know that something happened about 2,000 years ago. Now, Shaw, when she finds her maker, she keeps her faith. But it's important to know that her faith is relational, I would argue, and not transactional. The cross around her neck is this not-so-subtle symbol of that faith, of course. But in this case, that faith isn't about her specific beliefs, which she may or may not keep those. We don't really know. But here, it's about that mission and purpose, which she does have. Uh, which she takes up again at the end of the film in her pursuit of the engineer. She needs that cross. She needs that purpose. And she finds it again, despite kind of getting lost uh, throughout the film. She finds that purpose at the end as she decides to go pursue the engineers with David. Um, Really interesting. (laughs) There's a lot of ideas, and we're just scratching the surface on those ideas there aren't a lot of answers. And I know that's something else that others may point to is something that they don't like. Um, I think this is a Damon Lindelof special here uh, where we have a lot of interesting questions and not a whole lot of concrete answers. We don't always know why, but do we really want to know the why? Right. That that's another question that this film is asking us is Mm -hmm. what happens when we do receive the answers? Are they ever going to be satisfying? I think this film is trying to say, no, they're not. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, on MVM Plus today, though, we will hear from the executive producer, Kevin Alexander himself, on why Prometheus is an abomination, in his words. Uh, we will find out if, if any of these arguments that we've brought up are his own, if he really is just this upset about xenomorphs. Or if he has something deeper that's troubling him. That's over at patreon.com forward slash Pod. Let's get into our awards then, shall we, Alex? All right. Let's get into our awards. <laughs> Compelling character award. Alex, who do you have? Uh, for me, I had, let's see. I had Shaw. I, I think she's a really interesting character. Obviously, we've talked about her quite a bit. Um, just with her, her battle with her, uh, I guess keeping her faith while everything falls apart around her and everybody Mm -hmm. dies and everything's called in the question and she just has to (laughs) keep going despite having this giant wound. She, you know, we haven't even talked about it, but her luring the, uh, 
well, not that she did it on purpose, really, but she allured the engineer to the squid, I guess yeah. it was, at the, eventually. Um, and her quick wit there, like she's just a very intelligent and capable person who is mm-hmm. constantly, like you said, existentially having to battle uh, through a lot of personal stuff. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I mean, to me, <laughs> the most compelling character award in this movie has to go to David. Um, I just think David is endlessly fascinating. Um, he's He's got that sequence at the beginning of the film that's probably like five minutes long where he's by himself. It reminds me a lot of 2001 A Space Odyssey, except we're getting a reverse sort of 2001 where yes. the android is the android, um, is the human type character interacting with the human, um, which is, you know, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, I believe is the movie that he's watching as he he's and he's repeating those lines. Right. Quite fascinating uh, as he is trying to process what it feels like to be a human and, and interacting with these artifacts of humanity. And then you do get these moments where, it's 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 a question worth asking is 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 he an evil character um oh, yeah and that's a, that's a question worth 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 asking because is he or is he programmed to um get answers to find answers to do anything at any cost just like his maker wayland um to find those answers to aid his maker wayland He's got that love-hate relationship, and so he does go to extremes to try to get those answers, such as poisoning Charlie, right? Um, and such as deception, and such as not letting on, and not following instructions. But when he's not following the instructions of one character, he's ultimately following the instructions of his master, right? Which is Wayland right. himself in this case. And so it's an interesting character. Like, can this character that's been programmed actually have evil intent does he develop evil intent at the end of the movie when wayland is gone does he ultimately switch his position um, and find purpose and meaning himself in uh aiding shaw there's so much to david's character that i just find endlessly fascinating so he has to be my compelling character awards he's so good yeah i mean david's david's one of the great characters in science fiction if you ask me <laughs> um, he's so deep and interesting. It's so mm. uh, he's so cool. I we'll get into it here in a minute uh, with my <laughs> can't believe that acting award. But what yeah. about your most memorable line award, Eric? Okay, so this is a good example of just the sort of delivery and uh, layers that David has. Um, he's talking to Shaw. And he says, so it's really a conversation here um, where he does this completely. He does it completely without uh, like a tone, right? So he's completely straight faced and without any seemingly understanding that what he has done is wrong. He says, David, it must feel like your God abandoned you. Shaw, what? David, to lose Dr. Holloway after your father died under such similar circumstances? What was it that killed him? Ebola? Shaw. How do you how do you know that, David? 
I've watched your dreams. Mm. And (laughs) it's that entire back and forth there where Shaw is just completely taken aback um, and realizes that David has had access to them this entire time and knows so much more than he's letting on. And yet he's not afraid to let her know that he knows (laughs) so much more than he's letting on. So in a sense, he's like trusting her more um, by giving her this information, but he's also revealing that he's in control, um, which is that power dynamic. So, so much is happening, even though so little is said. Uh, I just find that a memorable back and forth. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It, that kind of, that plays into uh, my line a little bit with what it means to uh, David. And he has that line from the movie that he's watching, Lawrence uh-huh. of Arabia. And uh, he he's watching the movie, and it, um, the line is, The trick, Mr. Potter, is not minding that it hurts. After mm. showing the, putting the match out with the finger trick. yeah. And David says this line several times, like while he's by himself. And then he also styles himself after that character. Yeah. That talks, you know, he makes his hair the same. There's something really interesting about it because David is a robot or an android that is obsessive. Mm-hmm. He creates himself after this thing and becomes obsessed with Lawrence of Arabia. He becomes obsessed with Shaw. Yeah. He becomes obsessed with this new life. Mm-hmm. David's is a robot with a very human trait. <laughs> And becoming yeah. just completely obsessive about things. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I love that. And I guess I'll go, I'll go ahead and go. Well, like, well, go ahead. Well, it's so interesting. I'm just going to interject there for a second. It's, it's so interesting that line too, right? The trick, Mr. Potter, is not minding that it hurts. Is that, again, there are just multiple layers of meaning to that line. Because as an android, there shouldn't be any sort of pain, right? Yes. And yet here he is alone and isolated for years. Um, Mm -hmm. For a human, it would be lonely, right? Um, For an android, it's not supposed to be lonely, but maybe it is. Um, And so, yeah, there might not be any physical pain, but maybe there is emotional pain. Uh, It's interesting to consider for sure. Yeah, and maybe it plays a little bit into his stoic-type nature when he mm-hmm. takes a beating from people calling him names and stuff like that. He just kind oh, of yeah. bites his tongue. Mm-hmm. I think that leads into your Can't Believe the Acting Award. Yeah, I have to give it to Michael Fassbender as David. He's mm-hmm. flawless in this. This is probably my favorite Fassbender role. Um, yeah. It, yeah, because There's it's a lot just, of good ones. It's just so subtle. Yeah. And angry (laughs) despite not having those over the top kylo ren type of reactions to things it's just always beneath the surface Mm -hmm. and it's just it's just like a perfect depiction of this character and i i really can't speak highly enough of this performance no 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 it's great it's it's fantastic uh i was gonna go with rapace um but yeah she's great this cast is amazing, by the way. Um, such a cast. I know. We haven't I, even I talked about Idris Elba yet. And no, he's such we a haven't. great character. 
Yeah, we haven't even talked about him. I, I'm not going to go with him, though, either, because it is a great character, but it's it's Idris Elba being Idris Elba, which is just a cool <laughs> character. You're right. You're right. Uh, that is epic, right? So that's Idris Elba being Idris Elba. Amazing character, uh, but him being himself almost, it feels like. I, I'm going to go with uh, Guy Pierce um, playing Wayland because it doesn't make sense really to cast him in that role. No at all because maybe I'm wrong, but I don't remember seeing him young. Maybe there no, is, you know, you don't, you don't see him young, but the, yeah, you, you don't, don't know what's Guy Pierce. You in do not movie. know by watching, but like if you, yeah, if you haven't watched this movie and, and you don't know Guy Pierce is in this movie, you just believe this is an old guy in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is about to die. But see, when you have to age, I guess the justification would be when you have to age someone to the brink of death um, and you have to really get like, like who are you going to find anyway? You're going to have to age whoever you choose. So we might as well choose Guy Pierce and really age him <laughs> yeah. um, and put him on the brink of death because you know he's going to do a good job. And he does. Uh, I mean, they have to make him like obscenely old. I forgot how old he was when he dies, but he's, he's like over. He's way over 100. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, because he's used every sort of technique in the book to try to prolong his life already. Right. Um, in futuristic technique. So he's, yeah, I don't know exactly how old he is either, but he's already older than any human should live, right? <laughs> yes. um, and he seems to know, like, he's got a shelf life. <laughs> so, and the shelf life is coming to an end. That's why he needs to know now. Um, and that's why the answers are so pressing. Uh so I yeah I've got to give it up to Guy Pierce who is awesome in his role. Mm. So, yeah, he's good. All right, Eric, what about your that's uh, oh that's a good shot award. So it's the scene that you mentioned that some might complain about where um, <laughs> Vickers and Shaw don't run to the side of the ship but they run kind of like parallel to the ship. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just going to say it looks awesome. It does. It looks so good. <laughs> Cause it's so cool. Like it's, I mean, come on. That whole scene is epic. Like it's, the visuals in this movie are epic. They're um, so good. Like we haven't even talked about them really, except that I said I was impressed by the CGI, but man, this movie just looks awesome. It does. It, it, it looks, looks awesome. <laughs> it, it holds up so well in 10 years, right? Yeah. The CGI it's definitely looks better than almost any CGI that we're getting in 2022. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's true. It's true. CGI has taken a step down over the last CGI, couple of years. CGI, because it's been cheaper, right? It's, it's Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, the only CGI that might, I don't know. I, I'm not a CGI expert, but like the CGI that I can think of that's that's going, that that beats this one has to be like Avatar, right? Right. Um, but like, that, that's saying something. If Avatar is. is the only CGI that is beating you out that I can think of. Um, it must be pretty good. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. What about you? Uh, mine is the shot of David's finger with the Wayland Utani logo on his fingerprint when it's showing the, the, uh, the black goo at the top of his oh, finger. Yeah. Oh and yeah. It, and it's followed by that line. that's like big things have small beginnings. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's so, mm-hmm. yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. 
I just love that little Waylon Utani logo on his fingerprint. On his fingerprint. Yeah, it's yeah, just so for cool. sure. That's cool. Uh, um, unique award, Alex. What you got? Uh, I I had the. I had the, oh, uh, that's interesting award, and that goes that goes to them holding off on this Deacon reveal until the the closing moments of the of the movie, which mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and spoil it for people. This moment has nothing uh, to do with the next film. It's not in it. <laughs> the Deacon has no presence in the movie, but it's what, this what's cool the proto. Hang on, what's the, the Deacon, Deacon is the alien that comes out of out of the uh engineer yeah okay um and the what's what's cool about it is you see a lot of similarities between that and the alien the slightly protracted mouth it doesn't quite have the same type of mouth but its general shape is very similar i had read eric actually that the final act was actually a engineer xenomorph chasing shaw and vickers Hmm. Um, so like a xenomorph comes out of like the first xenomorph is actually out of an engineer hmm. and it's chasing them. And then Fox said, we don't want a xenomorph in the movie. And so they got rid of it <laughs> and made See, probably a much though. better movie because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's weird. See, normally I would assume that the studio would say we need a xenomorph in this movie. Yeah, I know you would think, right? But they, apparently they're mm-hmm. like, no, no xenomorph. That's weird. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, That's but yeah, weird. apparently it was, it was like a way bigger xeno because it came out of an engineer. So it's going to be even bigger. Yeah, that'd be than wild. Than your normal one. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're but, starting to see something like uh, aliens happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, cool. Uh so my award is the Why So Dumb Award. Come on, man. I, I am not, I repeat, I am not getting close to that hammerhead snake thing. No. And so the Why So Dumb Award, in my <laughs> eyes, goes to Milburn because, dude, you have he, to. He, he's tired. He's tired. We'll, no, we'll you guys are he, dumb. He's tired. You guys he's, literally he's, he's chose sleepy, the scariest place to spend the night in that entire place. I know. That was so funny. <laughs> like, why Why are you? Why spend the night there? Like, that is the scariest place in the entire, in the entire ship. And you're going to spend the night there. And then <laughs> you oh, find man. life. And it is obviously scary right like that thing is wow don't mess with that thing what i did like eric i wonder if you thought this too Uh that thing is mutated is a like the mutated worm on the ground and that's oh that that's been mutated by the black goo that's now coming out yeah yeah is that what you picked up yeah i mean that's that's kind of what i was guessing is I, I I love that sense of I'll just say I don't know I don't think I quite made that connection I just you saw those little worms you know in kind of like the dirt and the soil yeah before just, the glue the goo starts to leak which is why yeah. I think the goo changes those into that that's probably true it's, it's probably true I just think the inevitability of life right in this sort of atmosphere oh yeah it was just it was just uh, brimming with life 
and and I think some of those shots, like the shot of the worms, like in the soil there, you're like, this atmosphere is just ripe for life, and so and so any form of life could take place, and and we see that we see these multiple uh, types of life being formed in this movie, um, which I find pretty interesting. But let's get into our final thoughts in tiered rating, Alex. Do you want to go first? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, go for it. This is a this is a good one, everybody. Uh, I think this surprises nobody. But this is one of my favorite monster movies. Um, it's really it's up there. It's really close to Alien and Aliens. It, it's uh, you know it's going to be hard for me to determine today <laughs> where in the list it is. Uh-huh. But Eric, you're not far off from where I, wherever I'm landing. Mm-hmm. It's very close. It's top three, maybe top one. Um, it's just going to require a little more, <laughs> a little more thought because this is so good. Just yeah. the, the acting, the subtlety of just David alone makes this film worth it. But then you mm-hmm. get some perfect horror mm-hmm. uh, and just some really tense moments and great characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this movie is firing on all, all cylinders. Like, yes, there's a few issues. Milburn is dumb. Like, yes, I do think that like <laughs> Vickers maybe skimped on the paychecks when she hired her people. Um, and maybe she's got a bad eye for talent. Um, but also I totally believe a biologist would do that. Yeah. Certain right. ones, you know, we don't, we, we know there's dumb scientists out there, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's not like you're immune from uh, idiocy. And no. so I, I, I'm able to write off some of the issues with certain moments of the film because I think the rest of it around it is so great. And this is definitely a Godzilla tier. And it, it's high up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But Eric, mm-hmm. I have a feeling I know where you're landing, but let's hear it. Yeah, it's a, it's a Godzilla tier film for me. Um, and I feel like that might be a surprise. I know I, I revealed my chips early on, but I think <laughs> for, for listeners, that might be a surprise for many. Because, I don't know, uh, I don't give too many Godzilla tier films, especially right. not in like more modern films like this, Alex. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? True. Like, yeah. I just don't give that many Godzilla tier, tier uh, ratings um, or really any four and a half, five star ratings to, to films that are within the past 10 years. And, and this hits that criteria. Essentially, it's two parts. You've got the first half, which it is almost equal. You've got the first half of the movie that's about establishing that awe, that wonder, and, and setting up the mysteries. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the second half of the film that's just pure relentless. And you mentioned Jurassic Park earlier. I, I thought of Jurassic Park 2 just in the style of how the film creates its horror uh, and establishing that wonder first before just giving it to us full on for the rest of it. Um, mm-hmm. I like the lore here. I, I like what it establishes. Um I like the questions that are asked, the characters that we have and the relationships between them and those dynamics. All of it pretty much works for me. And this is a film that you're going to be proud of me, Alex. I stayed up late and I, 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 like I started this film at 11 o'clock at night, which was a mistake. Yes. Right. Cause I can't make it past 11, 15 most nights. 
<laughs> so I started this at 11 o'clock and I couldn't go to sleep. I, I just had to keep on watching it. And I've seen it twice wow. before. That tells you something about how into this film that I was and how like invested I was in these characters and what was going to happen next. That I would stay awake for a film on a school night <laughs> for a film that I had seen twice before. Um, wow. And knew it was going to happen. I already knew. Uh, but I was still engaging me at that level. So I really like this film. It's uh, one of my favorite uh, sci-fi movies. Uh, and obviously one of my favorite alien movies. So Prometheus, Godzilla, Tear, Sorry Haters. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Next week, we have got Alien Covenant. Is Alien Covenant Prometheus subsequent? Does that mean it's a franchise nutriment or a franchise puzzlement? Ooh. Wow. You really you really worked on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean you must have crafted that over hours. Um <laughs> uh, only thirty only thirty five minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. Next week we've got Alien Covenant. Does it fit like an oven mitt? <laughs> Um, that's yeah, it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. As always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. Men. You can leave us feedback on Prometheus. You can tell us why our arguments are wrong over at mvmpod.com or email us at mvmpod at gmail.com and we'll read those comments on the show. You can also follow us and message us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. Become a bargain basement at patreon.com forward slash MVM pod and receive weekly bonus content, including special reviews, interviews, and host chats. And if you can't join at this time, a review or a share always helps. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Kevin Alexander, Faye Basier, Christopher Quivero, John Freeman, and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, rock band for PlayStation 3, which formed cell block B, Louis Loops, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, Instagram Connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next time, don't touch the hammer, peed. I looked it up. <laughs> and try, try to, to stay, stay alive. alive. Thanks for correcting the mistakes at the end of the episode, Alex. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. And I had seen Prometheus before, and that's it. I texted um, you. I texted you before we got on. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah. Have you seen Covenant or not? Our next movie. Nope. You have a review nope. for it on Letterboxd, just so you know. What? <laughs> <laughs>